Sunday, November the 14th. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Simon. What a joy it is to be uh, back here with you. It's a joy after all these years of being on our own to actually see people and to meet each other. And uh, really, it's my first time back to the UK, and it's the first time I preach in English. I've done some talks on Zoom, but I'm Zoomed out, as m- most of us, I think. So uh, so it's really, uh, <clears throat> I hope that my English holds through the, <laughs> through the sermon today. And um, I wanted to bring you greetings from Providence Baptist Church, from people there, from uh, my family, and uh, also to thank you for being with us for the long haul, uh, uh, being with us for 30 years, it's amazing. The journey is incredible. And I remember coming first to this church, and <clears throat> really God has, uh, has, has blessed uh, this relationship. And uh, this morning, as an exercise maybe of imagination, I would like to invite you to reflect together on a question. Where is God? Where, where can we meet God? We've been through some very difficult times, and uh, people have claimed on behalf of God many things, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry for God. I mean, he gets blamed for a lot of stuff and doesn't get credit for much, in a sense, because of Christians. That's, in a sense, sometimes uh, it's sad. We are the, the, the worst PR people for God, you know. So, uh, and, uh, you know, I don't think I have a, an answer for you, so... Uh, um, I think this works better in English than in Romania. You always have to have an answer, but in England, people are happy to kind of find their own answer because you were brought up like this a bit. But the invitation begins with a biblical account of Jacob's dream. And uh, at the end, probably we'll look at scriptures together and try to indicate at least a direction. Uh, we live in a world in which uh, we encounter more and more people who are indifferent towards God. Uh, in our country, our country claims that 98% are are Christians because it's kind of very state church type of country, although we don't have a state church, but in the Orthodox Church everybody is baptized. So Romanians very, are very angry if, they, if you tell them they are not Christian. But in reality, it's also one of the most corrupt countries. So I keep telling, asking Romanians, what's wrong with this Christianity? What, why do we have these results? <laughs> You know, 98% Christians and most corrupt, you know, kind of somehow, what's wrong with this image? But many people actually tend to ignore God and somehow rule out his involvement in transforming our, our world. This is kind of the easiest. So slowly, slowly, the world has no need for God, you know. And people are happy for Christians to meet. People are happy for Christians to say things as long as they don't challenge the the order of, 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 of the day too much. Uh, but uh, there is an indifference to faith. And uh, to a large extent, this amounts to a denial of, of the existence of God, even if that's not necessarily pronounced like this. And uh, in many places, you actually f- face a rejection of any expression of 
religious sentiment. People think that if you express your faith somehow and anything, you are kind of a bit uh, exaggerating or you shouldn't do this. Um, faithful people, on the other hand, continue to see God. And uh, often this becomes a rational exploration, a kind of thinking about God. And I think this has a, been a, a weakness in the evangelical movement. We tend to, tend to think about Jesus and know more about Jesus, think about God and know about God, think about the Holy Spirit and know about the Holy Spirit. But the whole point is to meet God, to meet Jesus, and to meet the Holy Spirit. That's the real thing. It's good to know about them, and, you know, the Bible helps us. It's a guide to know about them, but really the whole point is to encounter Christ, to encounter God through the Spirit and through, and through the Christ. So those who encounter God and experience this encounter um, and discover faith often also want to kind of freeze that experience because it's so meaningful. They say, okay, maybe we can freeze it. And maybe we can kind of landmark that place, you know. Um, I live in an Orthodox country, and uh, this is done in, in the Orthodox tradition by creating shrines. If people think that someone had an experience somewhere, they immediately build something there. So the country is full of chapels, shrines, in which people claim that their experience of God was there. So as if they could kind of put a place for God and say, God, you know, thank you. You showed it, you know, now we'll give you a resident card. <laughs> you know, don't move from here, you know, if you move. Like I came to this country, I have to have a, um, a, a letter by immigration because of COVID and all that in which I had to declare all the addresses I'm going to because, and then I had to take a test yesterday, which was negative, and then in case something happened, they could track me, you know. So we, we want to do the same with God. Oh, I, I encountered God at Burlington. Well, I built a shrine here, and this is where God is. You know, he cannot be uh, at the river, where we, because that's not where God is. He's at Burlington, because I met God at Burlington. So uh, sometimes they do this with objects in my culture. So there, there's a danger of superstition. And uh, those who are not superstitious, and we don't come from a superstitious tradition, uh, we tend to close God in some kind of rigid expressions of how we meet, what we sing, how we dress, what kind of things. So it, it becomes kind of a form of legalism, and we feel that if legalism is saved, God is kind of safeguarded to be present in, in our church, you know. Uh, and really, all these things are kind of taking refuse, a refuge and avoid confronting the reality of life, because the reality of life is change. And I think life doesn't sit in one place. And you see, the scripture presents us with another image of God, as a God of relationship between God and man. It presents us with a fact that God reveals himself as a person who always has the initiative to meet man, to whom he promises to be with him. We see that God does all, that God therefore always has in mind a future, a future that he promises to those who have solved their past with him. So he solves our past to promise us a future. So, even though the nature of the world and reality is changing and fleeting, and we all feel it, God does not change his purposes and promises. 
And the good news is that God did not stay at Jacob's Bethel, but he's present. He kept up with reality, you know, I would say. God keeps up with reality. Now we, you know, Jacob wanted God to, he put a remembrance there, you know, because he's a living God. He's a God who is always present, always involved in transforming the world according to his purpose. That's why we can say that the world and we have a future, because God remains involved in our future. That's why we can have hope. That's why we have hope. This, uh, this understanding of God's continued presence in the future is a source for hope, a source of direction, because if we believe in God, we know that he pulls us towards the future he has promised. He has a purpose for this world. People really want to have maps about this, but God is God. He's free. You know, he, you, you cannot put God on your GPS, but you can allow him to guide you, and he will through his Holy Spirit. You know, I'm thinking of Jacob. He must have been full of fear when he left his father's house. The quiet boy, also known as the tricky one. That's the translation of, of Jacob's name. He was the tricky one because he was a bit cunning and a deceiver. He cheated on his brother. So he was forced to run away because of his brother's hate when he realized that he, he, Jacob cheated on him and, and, and stole his right. So Jack, Jacob discovers now that no one offers him a place to shelter, like I was kindly offered in, 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 in Burlington in spite of all this situation. I was very anxious, and I wrote to Simon, you know, I'm in London, you know, if you want to meet, maybe we can meet for a coffee halfway, you know, two meters distance. Oh, no, come stay with us. I said, oh, should I, you know? Because times are changing, as they say, but um, Jacob was in the desert, he didn't even have a bed. So he's forced to sleep on the ground in the desert. His pillow is a rock. So probably in those moments, he wondered, and I would have done the same if his future still existed. And for how long his future existed? To be alone in the desert? That, that, that's a threatening thing. And Jacob finds himself in an unknown place in a country he did not know, full of fear in his flight from the brothers he deceived. Leaving the comfort of his parents' house, he runs to a destination he does not really know. So in this moment of despair, in this unknown place, God shows himself to Jacob. And what I find even more fascinating is that God does not reveal himself in a place of worship. Not in the midst of his family. In a desperate situation and in a dream. I mean, David, has, uh, Jacob has no control of his dream. The dream is the place where you, you know, it's, if it's a nightmare, it's a nightmare, you know. So in that dream, Jacob discovers God. He discovers that everything, absolutely everything that he can change his, uh, his situation, his state, could come from God. There is no other option. And often God works like this, not with all of us, but at least we can learn a lesson from here. We can understand that even if the situation is desperate, God can speak to us, you know. And that's why we, 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 we must have this dream. You know, I often thought about, 
I read a book by a guy in, uh, in, in the Netherlands. He's not a Christian, but he has a very interesting story. He says, we, we, people need hope. We need to inspire people. And he, he picks up on Martin Luther King, you know. Martin Luther King said, I have a dream. He said, just imagine if Martin Luther King would say, I have a nightmare. Who would have listened to that? I mean, and sometimes we as Christians go to the world and we go with our nightmares. Oh, this is what happens. Those will take over. These will do something. But Jesus is Lord. We have a dream, you know. And Jacob had a dream in the, in the worst time of his life. A dream that God opened the heaven for him and there was a stairway and angels were coming up and down. Jacob's dream. Not any dream will do, as Martin Lloyd Webber puts in his multicolor, technicolor <laughs> song, yeah? So in this dream, he, he saw angels descending and ascending and ladder ascending to heaven. These angels were to patrol the earth so that wherever he went, he was to accompany it by a divine guard. And at the top of the ladder was the Lord himself who introduced himself as the God of his father Isaac and of his grandfather Abraham. And he assures Jacob that the promises he made to them remain valid for him. So God makes promises to the tricky one. That's the kind of God we have, yeah? In other words, he will inherit the promised land, have many descendants, like the sand of the sea, and will be a blessing to people. I'm convinced that Jacob knew these old and wonderful promises. Probably in his family they have told him. Oh, we are not just any family, you know. We are the family. God spoke to your granddad and your, your father and your God. But now, he meets God for the first time. And, and God speaks to him and he, he tells him a few things. Uh, one of the things God tells Jacob is that he is going to be with him. Verse 15 is really that what God tells him. He's going to be present with him all the time. He, he, he addresses him directly, I am with you. In other words, heaven descends on earth for God to be present with this man. So Christian hope, which is radically different from the world's lack of hope, is based on the very fact that we who are believers understand this, that God is with us. We must understand this. We are not abandoned, you are in Ipswich here and we in Bucharest. No, God is with us. Jacob was the first person in the Bible to hear this assurance. I am with you. But his, but the promise will be repeated later on to Moses in Exodus, to Joshua, um, and to Gideon in Jude. In fact, we read the prophet Isaiah when he sees this extended as a permanent presence of God. I think it's in 714 which is like a promise of, of Messiah. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall, he shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this is picked up in New Testament by Matthew. So these words remind us about the continuous presence of God with his people in ancient times, but also today, because the promise is repeated. And it's interesting that when Jesus leaves the disciples in Matthew 28, what does he tell them? And behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So Jacob learns that God promises him to be with him. But also God promises him to protect him. I will guard you everywhere. 
What lays behind this expression is the image of the shepherd watching his flock of sheep and <clears throat> guarding them. The psalmist imagines this in Psalm 121 uh, when he says, Yes, he will not allow your foot to be shaken. The one who guards you will not sleep. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your shepherd. The Lord is your shadow in your right hand. And so on. Perhaps the angels in Jacob's dream become his unseen guardians, as the psalmist imagines in Psalm 91. And he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. They will carry you in your arms so that you will not hit your foot against a stone. We know that this has become a promise of protection which was recognized by the people of God. And we know that Jesus himself was tempted with this very, very promise. So Jacob hears, hears from God that God is with him. And not is only with him, but God promises to protect him. But then in the end, God communicates to Jacob that there is hope for him. And the hope is to return home. The hope is to restore his relationships. And the hope is for fulfilling God's promise. For God, this was his first encounter with, for, for Jacob, this was his first encounter with God, we said. And of course, <clears throat> although he knew his parents' faith and heard about their experience with God, but now he was face to face with God for the first time in his life. And therefore, the meeting is overwhelming. So, you go to bed in a desert with your head on a rock, uh, scared to death, hungry, you have this dream, God is there. So, what as he says, truly God is in this place and I didn't have a clue. I didn't know it. The encounter with God becomes a pivotal point, a moment of return for Jacob's life. He realizes now that the only future he has can and be imagined only as the future that God offers to him. And sometimes, you know, you wonder, wow, think about what we are today. And think about how you see your future, how I see my future. You know, as time goes on, I see more and more limitations. I, I see more and more uh, narrow ways, not widening ways. And in this place uh, where we ask for God's presence, like Jacob, we can live here encouraged that God promises a future in which he is present and takes care of us and protects us. It's, this is an amazing encouragement for me. I don't need more than this, really. Nobody can offer you anything more than this. Of course we will make our plans. Of course we will have our projects. Of course we will have our scheduled activities. <clears throat> My lasting impact of coming to England was that I was just totally overwhelmed in my first year. I thought, even to die here, you have to plan it, because there's nothing unplanned, you know. In Romania, we live from one day to another, you know, and uh, we say, you know, something will happen, because there was never a time that something doesn't happen. You know, this is the Romanian mentality. So here, you, you know, kind of, you had to book in advance everything. I said, well, it's very difficult to, to do anything. Um, but So we have to plan in our world. We have to schedule. It's absolutely normal and necessary in a world like ours. However, we know 
that plans, projects, activities are subject to risk. And they ho- therefore they are threatened to become failures, more or less. I'm in the board in Romania of an organization, a charity, a Christian charity, and one of my colleagues uh, is director of risk management for a Romanian telecom. Who was, and before COVID, an entire year he pestered us to do this risk management register and this kind of big corporation, new language. So I didn't know why we do this, but we had to do it because it was good practice and blah, blah, blah. So I did this, and then COVID came. So, of course, it, it was none of the risks on that page or on that two, 200 pages we wrote out. There's nothing there about it. So I said, why did we do this? He said, oh, you know, who could have imagined this? Well, you know, okay, so why did we do this then? You know, life is risky. Really, we know this. We prefer safety, but life is risky. But the Christian faith comes to provide encouragement through the hope that God holds our future in his hand. Listen to what Jacob says. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in his way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that thou givest me, I will give the tenth to to you. I mean, the tricky one has recovered quickly from his mode of being totally dependent. He says, if... I mean, we are always up for a bargain with God, aren't we? Even we're desperate. If God will do this, then he will be my God, you know. It's amazing, really. It's amazing that God wants to be a God for such people. It's amazing, you know. So when he reaches the conclusion that everything depends on God, he makes a decision to commit to God. It's interesting. But he still wants to kind of keep God at bay. You know, this reminds me of, of David. You remember when David finishes his palace? Uh, the Bible says God gave him rest from his enemies. So everything was defeated. David was glorious, built his nice palace. He had a terrace on the top. You wouldn't do that in England. So obviously there they had nice warm weather. So he was out with his prophet. And he was walking happy, happy. Everything worked out, and he looks over the the, 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 the wall, and he says, "Oh, God's God's presence is still in a tent. What have I done? I built myself a palace. I built myself a palace with oak pillars, with gold, and and God's 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 presence is in the tent. And he goes to the prophet. We need to build a temple. We we need to to set up things for God. You know, you know what what have we done? So what?" Can the prophet say? I mean, he's the king, powerful, he's winning. Oh, king, do whatever comes to your mind. God has blessed you. It's great, great. And the prophet goes home and sleeps, and what does God tell him? Go back and tell David, who are you to build me a house? Have I asked you to build me something? You know, I have been with you through the desert. I have been through with you through the black, through the through the Red Sea. I have been with you all the time. I don't need your house. I need, don't need to have domicile. I don't need to be a citizen of, of David. You know, I'm God. <laughs> and this is really, 
I started with a question, where is God? And how do we find God? You know, even after the experience, Jacob was to mark the meeting place, a memorial with the name Bethel. It's beautiful. But God promised to be him on a journey. And Jacob tries to establish a place. And I think we need to see our lives more dynamized, more more, more active. uh, That God is with us on the journey. Of course, Jacob's wish is legitimate because we tend to forget. So it's a way to remember. We remember our heroes. We remember many things. But it should not lead us to limit God's presence, which it often does. It should not limit us to think that God will only do what we allow him to do. Because God is God and he is free. True blessings does not consist in in the existence of a place, but in experiencing the continual presence of God. Of course, it's obvious that the Jews later understood God's promise in terms of making a country where God could live. So everybody had to be God's people being Jew. So that's a, a ongoing tendency. They will eventually establish a kingdom like the contemporary ones, you know. So in the same way, Christians imagine the kingdom of God as a kind of institution. In the time of Constantine, they created Christendom. It was understood that the church is not a form of living in communion with God, but a worldly kingdom that must be strengthened according to the rules of the world. And that's why we have people thinking about God and about Jesus and about the Holy Spirit, not actually walking with them because it's all about being in an institution. So the, the, the desire to adopt these this, this models of kingdoms of the world remains a temptation for, for the church. And you see, when Jesus asked the Pharisees about the kingdom, uh, when the Pharisees asked Jesus about the kingdom, he replied to them, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, it's here or there, because the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. God's initiative from the beginning was to offer a covenant, and Baptists have been from the beginning a people of the covenant, and now even called baptism as a covenant with the Lord, a new covenant, yeah? So God's initiative was to offer a covenant, and in Jesus Christ, it becomes a covenant with all people. And this manifestation of the kingdom of God becomes the expression of the covenant. In this covenant, the God who is present promises to accompany us and protect us and restore us, and it's surprised, it's realized in Jesus Christ. Well, to whom is this covenant made? You know, Psalmist in Psalm 46 states very interestingly, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is a tower for us. You know, I, I heard a sermon once, and the guy uses this, and he says, this is a word from the sponsor. You know? But you know, the God of Jacob is with us. The, the God of the tricky one is with us. The promise is forever. If it could made to Jacob, it could made to me, to you. God is building his kingdom in his own terms. God is free, but he is present and he calls us to follow him. God has chosen to invite us to the realization of his kingdom. And we can participate because he sees the kingdom as a transformative presence in this world. 
And really, your, your congregation has been an inspiration for, for many in Romania because I've told the story of what you're trying to do with missional communities and things like that. And therefore, we need to live as a community of disciples who are aware of God's present, permanent presence in their lives and in their community and of the fact that God continues to travel with us. May the Lord help us to do this as we follow him. Wow, let's uh, pause and seize the moment to just lean into what the Spirit's been saying to us uh, through uh, that word of great encouragement, turning our eyes to the God who, the God who says, I'm with you. I'm with you. Maybe some of us need to hear in the situations that we find ourselves in today, I am with you. Receive that word into your heart today. Jesus. And maybe for some of us there's a dream. There's a dream that's longing to get out. Uh, what the world needs is our, is our dream, not our nightmare. And so we allow that fresh revelation of who God is to, to burst out of us. We share our dream with the world. Thank you, Lord. And I pray especially for those who just need to wake up and discover that God is in the place where they are. When they went to sleep, kind of metaphorically, it felt like it was a lonely place, a lost place. And then to wake and discover that God is there in that in that place. So let's use these moments to respond uh, uh, to God. And as, uh, as the music leads us, we lift our gaze to a God who's still sovereign, who's still in control, to Jesus who's still uh, Lord. You have no rival, no equal now and forever, God. You reign. Yours is the kingdom, the glory, the name above all names. We lift our hearts, our voices, our minds. We put our trust in the one. And the one who says, I'm with you. I'm always there.